0: I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 2 Chronicles, in chapter number 31. Uh, We're going to continue our study in the life of Hezekiah, and as we continue this study in the life of Hezekiah, I just want to real quickly just catch us up um, from last week. If you remember last Sunday, we spent the whole day looking at chapter thirty. And we did it in, in surrounding the Lord's Supper, as we took of the Lord's Supper Sunday night. Now, in chapter 30, if you remember, Hezekiah has now, by decree, the priests have cleansed the temple, and then we come to chapter 30, we find out that the people began to allow God to cleanse them personally. And not only that, but they go throughout Jerusalem and begin to cleanse Jerusalem. They begin to pull all the idolatrous things that Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, had put in every corner of the city. And so they cleanse the temple, they cleanse themselves, and then they cleanse the city of Jerusalem. And all of this was in preparation of taking of the Passover which they hadn't celebrated in a long time. And you understand the Passover pictures, the lamb that God gave to them to deliver them from death and to deliver them from the death angel. Now, here's the reality. As we looked at that last week, I tried to use it in a way to help us prepare to take the Lord's Supper. And then we came back Sunday night and we found out in chapter 30 Uh, about them actual taking of the Passover, and then we, in turn, took of the Lord's Supper. Now, you may think I'm weird when I say what I'm about to say. I've been here six and a half years. I believe Sunday night was probably one of the top three services we've had since I've been at Liberty Baptist Church. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. We've had services where 15, 20 people got saved. We have. But I believe Sunday night, I pray, done more for us as a church family than any service we've had since I've been here. And one of the things that is reason for that is this. Because when you and I come to the place of taking of the Lord's table and preparing ourselves to take of the Lord's table, it will forever alter how you live. And so what we're going to look at this morning is... We looked at last week the preparing to take, and then last Sunday night, time to take. Now, this morning we're going to look at the aftermath of taking. Because here's how you and I know that as we took of the Lord's table, um, that we took of it of a right heart, of worship and a right heart or attitude as we took it. Because it changed how you live this week. Now, if it didn't change how you lived this week, then guess what? Something went awry. Because you can't, the Lord's Supper is meant to be a discipline. And the Passover for them was that. And so, what we're going to find in chapter 31 and verse 1, I'm just going to do with one verse this morning, is you're going to see the aftermath of Israel taking the Passover. And how it affected their lives, and how it influenced what they did as they left Jerusalem. Just as I pray, destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned every man to his possession into their own cities. Let's pray. Father, I just pray you would use this passage in our hearts this morning. And Father, that uh, we would be and we would have a heart as we find here with these that celebrated the Passover. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to look first with me this morning that the aftermath of taking of the Passover is seen in the removal of temptation. The removal of temptation. Now you say, well, what took place? Well, it says that Israel, as they left, they began to go throughout the cities in which they resided, now outside of Jerusalem, the other cities in which they resided, and they began to take down all the idolatrous things that Ahaz had led them into worship, and Ahaz had led them to put up in all the cities. Now, why is that significant? Because the thing is... What would be the catalyst for the cause them to do that? Well, notice what it says here in this passage. And it gives us the catalyst in the removal when it says, Now, when all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out. So what was the catalyst? What was the taking of the, of the Passover? Now, what was unique about this is they ended up taking two weeks and celebrating the Passover. Now, God had only ordained one week. Now, you say, Well, why did they take two weeks? Well, but can I tell you something? Because they got into obeying God, they got into getting in on God changing their heart, God cleansing themselves, God cleansing the people, and when they got into it, they didn't want to get away from it. It was something that continued for two weeks. But when all that was finished, when they had now celebrated the Passover, went through the times of cleansing, brought their sacrifices and obedience to surrender, and all those took place... Notice here, it became a catalyst to cause them to go out into the cities and continue the work of cleansing of those cities. Now, you say, why is that important? Because here's what I said a minute ago. I want to say it again. If you were here Sunday night, you took of the Lord's Supper, can I ask you a question? Did it change how you lived this week? Because it should have. And that's what took place here. Because listen, we go through the Lord's Supper as a discipline to allow God to search our hearts as we did this past Sunday. And I praise God for what he did. Matter of fact, I want to say this too. One of the things that blessed your pastor's heart is Sunday night was the biggest crowd on Sunday night we've ever had since I've been at Liberty. Listen, this place was packed, slap out. And that blessed my heart. Why? Because it told me there was people that wanted to come and get heart right with God and celebrate in peace with God concerning what the Lord Jesus did for them. And it blessed me. But what blessed me even more was seeing people get their hearts right. But see, when we take of the Lord's Supper, that ought to be the beginning, not the end. That ought to be the beginning of continuously allowing God to do this work in our lives. And what happened with Israel is this became a catalyst, which they went out went out into all Judea. And, listen, Judea, Benjamin, and then Ephraim and Manasseh means the southern and the northern tribes of Israel. They went into both providences, and they began to go in all the cities and began to tear down the idols and the idolatrous things in every city in which they came to. And here's what's unique about this. Number one, they weren't prompted to do it. You know what's unique to me about this passage? If you remember when we looked in chapter 29 and chapter 30, it was the king that decreed for the priest to go cleanse the temple. It was the king that decreed that the priest would cleanse themselves. But yet here we find in this chapter that now this is not a decree of the king. This is not something in which the king says, now go to the other cities and get rid of all that junk in the other cities. No, no, no. They did this of their own volition. Why? Because they got in on what God was doing in their hearts and their lives for two weeks and getting under the things of God. They couldn't help themselves. They wasn't prompted. Here's another thing. They wasn't prompted. You know, I want to tell you something. If you and I have to be prodded to obey God, we better check up. See, obedience ought to be something that's a natural outflow a natural outflow of the desire you have in your heart. And so what happened here was these folks now had a a whole different uh, mindset about them and now obedience to going and removing all of these things that were so evil concerning what they gave themselves to for year after year after year. It became something they didn't have to be prodded. They didn't have to be prompted. They just wanted to obey. See, that's when you know you're walking in the life of Christ. When no one has to prompt you or prod you to obey, the Spirit of God's enough to give you the desire and then to enable you to obey. It's amazing what takes place. But notice this about this text. Look at it real closely with me. Notice what it says. It says, now, when all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out into the cities. So what does that say? Well, there's some that didn't participate. And they didn't go in these cities and start pulling down the idolatrous things. Why? They wasn't present. Now, y'all going to love me say amen. God designed for us to assemble together for a purpose. This wasn't something God just come up with It's optional. There's a purpose in it. And so what took place was, who were the ones that followed through? Who were the ones that showed fruit of repentance? Who were the ones that showed fruit of cleansing? It was those that got in on the Passover. Those are the ones that followed through after the word Afterwards. And that's what's so important for us to understand. That all that God did in designing the church and all that God did in designing these disciplines like the Lord's Supper, all these things were meant for a purpose. All these things were not something God just came up with and said, Hey, here it is. If you want to take part. If you don't, don't worry about it. I understand. i got news for you. God don't understand that stuff. He don't. Because God designed it for a purpose. And so what you find the catalyst in the removal. Notice the continuity in the removal. Notice what it says. All Israel that were present. So how many of the people that came to take of the Passover got in on this? All of them. Can you imagine? <laughs> Let me just put it to you in preacher's language. Y'all got this? Say Amen. Can you imagine if after we left this service, every single one of us went out and obeyed God in whatever God told us to do? What do you think would happen to this city? What do you think would happen to this church? What do you think would happen to our families and our communities? You see, the thing is, the ones that got in on what God designed is the ones that got in on obeying God afterwards. in other words, it was all of Israel that went out, that were present, and began to tear down these idols. It's something which God intended for the body as a whole. And the body as a whole responded. In a proper manner. You see this is something that God is trying to get us to understand. That that as, as one family. As one people. As one church family. As one brothers and sisters in Christ. Joined together in one body being Jesus. That we all ought to have a heart to obey God. You say well you know some obey more than others. But it shouldn't be that way. We all ought to have the same heart to obey God. But now I want you to look at a third thing about this removal of temptation. The the completeness in the removal. Notice what it says. It says they break the images in pieces, cut down the groves, threw down the high places, and the altars out of all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh. So what took place when they went out into their cities? They left Jerusalem. Two weeks of celebrating the Passover. God did a deep, deep, deep work of cleansing in their heart. They leave Jerusalem and as they leave Jerusalem, they're going to their individual cities. Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom mattered not. And as they went to the individual cities, it says, and they went and they began to pull down the groves. They began to pull down the idols. They began to pull down the things that they had once given their knee to and worship and bowed to because they were taught to, and they began to pull them all down. But notice the picture here. And they did it until they were utterly destroyed. See, when God asked us to obey Him in areas of our life, it's not something that God does whereby we partially obey. God wants us to fully obey in our life. Let me give you a picture. There's, back in 2 Chronicles chapter 23, there was a time when they were crowning the king, Joash, and when they did, there was the high priest there that had instituted that Israel go out and cleanse themselves and cleanse the city of all idols. Now, Israel mobilized themselves and went out and began to do that very thing. But here's what is caught that you need to see. But they did not remove the high places. Now you say, why is that important? Well, the high places were the places in which the idolatrous worship was taking place. In other words, they went through the city and removed the pieces of, of idolatry that was throughout the city, but they did not touch the high places. And can I tell you why that's important? Because guess what? They went right back to their idolatry. Why? Why is it important that God wants us to remove all these things in our life? Because it's temptation, and you think, well, I can say no whenever I want to say no. i got news for you. If that's your mindset, that you're already defeated you can't he can't let me put it to you this way God's got to remove sin from your heart before he can remove sin from your person can I tell you what true victory is y'all love me say Amen. victory is not you having a temptation pulling up your belt, saying, no, I'm not going to do it. That's not victory. How many agree, the Bible says in James that temptation, true temptation of sin, comes by the fact you already have a lust or a desire for it. So that's where temptation begins. You have a lust, you have a desire for it. So so let me ask you a question. So what is true victory? It's true victory. Well, I've got a desire for it, but no, I'm not going to do it. I'm strong. I'm not going to do it. Is that victory? No. So what's true victory? where God causes you to take what you used to desire, what you used to accept, what you used to give yourself to, what you used to probably even enjoy doing, what you used to find yourself as a crutch when you didn't feel good, and then bring you to the place where you detest that very thing you used to accept and you used to like. And therefore, God roots the desire out of your heart, and when He roots the desire out of your heart, here's the amazing thing, it stops being a temptation. That's when you're walking in victory. And this is what's going on. What did did they do? They went into all these cities. They began to remove everything that was true of their life before Hezekiah. Everything they gave themselves to. Now you say, well, preacher, listen, you just can't find Bible for this. Well, I'm glad you asked. There is Bible for this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. Look what it says. Jesus speaking at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, how many you agree, if it's Jesus speaking, it's truth. Can I tell you all the Bible's truth? Alright, but watch, it's in red. Jesus is speaking. Now, watch what he says. He said, if thy right hand eye offend thee, put a patch over it. If your right eye offends you, does this say, put a patch over it? What does he say to do Plug it out. Why? I mean, Lord, come on. You're getting a little, getting a little strong here on us. Oh, well, listen, he had a reason. He said, He said, and cast it from thee, for it, it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, put a glove on. Is that what he says? Cut it off. Why? He said, and cast it from thee, for it's profitable for thee, one member should perish, that all the body should be cast into hell. What is he saying? He said, if there's anything in your life that pulls your heart, pulls your affection, pulls your time away from the Lord, he said, get rid of it. You say, why did you classify them that way? Because that's what idols are. Anything you give your attention and heart more to than the Lord is an idol. And so, here's the reality. I, I have people come to me all the time, over the years, and they say, Preacher, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with this in my life, and, and, and I, it's, it's a habit in my life, I don't want it to be in my life, and, and I don't know what to do. And I tell them, I say, well, whatever it is, get yourself in a place where you have nothing to do with it, you have to separate yourself from it utterly. And they look at me and they go, well, I can't do that. Now, here's what I tell them. Well, you really don't want to be delivered. And you wonder why people don't want to come to me for counseling. I mean, listen. I, I mean, let me tell you something. I mean, let's don't stick our head in the sand. Let's, let's just be real today. Can we do that? Can I tell you the number one sin in men in this society in which we live? Pornography. Six out of ten seminary graduates two years ago confessed they'd gave themselves to pornography. Six out of ten seminary graduates. So what do you think it is among, and by the way, it's becoming real popular with ladies as well. So ladies don't think you're off the hook. So I've had people come to me with with problems with pornography. They say, what do I do? I said, turn your phone off take your phone back to Verizon, give your phone back to Verizon, turn your computer off, make sure that your computer is of such that only your wife can get you on it, and she has to be there when you're on it, and if she's not there when you're on it, then you don't get it on at all, and you can't get on it. They look at me, well, I can't do that. I said, well, you don't want... I said, then I don't have nothing to say to you. I mean, what else can I say to them? See, what they're saying is, I don't want to do it. But I don't want to do what needs to be done that I don't put myself in front of. it. Are y'all hearing me say amen? You see, you cut it off. You cut it off. I had a man one time come to me. He had an addiction. And he said, I just can't stop myself from going and buying this stuff. I said, well, I'm going to help you. He said, really, you want to help me? I said, yeah, I'm going to help you. He said, what, what what I need to do? I said, here's what you need to do. I said, he was married. I said, here's what you need to do. I said, you need to give your wife control of all your money, all your bank accounts. You can't get a dime out of the bank without her. You need to take your, your signature off this check. You need to take your name off of the account, and you need to let her control it all, and you can only get a dime when she gives it to you. Oh, listen. Can I tell you, he didn't schedule a second session. You say, well, preacher, the man's be the head of the home. Well, when you start acting like one, you can be one. Y'all say amen. You say, preacher, you're being hard. No, I'm telling you, I'm helping you. Because the only way you're going to find deliverance from temptations in your life is cut them out. That's what Israel did. This was the aftermath of the Passover. They they got so, so changed before God that they couldn't stand to give themselves to this stuff. And they didn't even want to be around it. So they said, listen, before it even becomes a temptation to us, we're going to get rid of it. Utterly get rid of it. All of it. Get rid of it. Complete removal. Well, anyway, let's go to the second thing. Not only do you find the removal of temptation, but the results of transformation. So what caused them to want to do this? Well, you say, preacher, they took the Passover. Yeah, but specifically, what did the Passover do in them that caused them to want to take these drastic steps that they took to purge the idols out of every single city? Well, I want to show you three things. Number one, the difference of the heart. They had a different heart. You see, before all they knew, because of Ahaz and because of of their upbringing, all they knew was giving themselves to idols, bending the knee to an idol, giving themselves to an idol, worshiping an idol. That's what they knew. But God's changed their heart. And when God changed their heart, here's the thing, they've got a different heart. And they don't have that desire anymore. They don't have that longing anymore. And now they're saying, I'm willing to do whatever it takes that I never go back to that again. Now, here's the reality. They didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit like you and I do. And therefore, guess what? This wasn't long-lived, but at the same time, they took the steps as they could take without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and they did what needed to be done to where this temptation wouldn't be a part of their lives anymore. See, here's the thing. When you and I are dealing with these things in our life... now. You say, Preacher, well, I don't have any of these temptations in my life. You're not telling the truth. I mean, agree? We all have temptations. If you say you don't have temptations, you're saying you don't have sin. If you say you're not to have sin, 1 John 1 says you're a liar and don't know the truth. <laughs> now you see why nobody wants to come and counsel with me now. Amen? <laughs> but, but anyway, so, so, so Preacher, all of us have temptations. We do. See, the, the, the issue is not are you going to have temptations. You are. The issue is, have you allowed God to give you a heart where you don't desire that temptation anymore? And you say, well, preacher, I still desire it. You need to shut yourself up with God until God changes your heart. It's that simple. How many agree that Jesus was tempted three times in the wilderness? Y'all remember that? All right, were they viable temptations? I mean, they were appealing. To, to humanity, they would be very appealing. I mean, one of them was what? Listen, you, you can have all this. You say you who you are, prove God. Jump off. He's been fasting 40 days. Turn these rocks into bread. You're hungry. How many agree all those would be appealing to the flesh? You say, why didn't Jesus give himself to them? You say, well, you know, preacher, he's God. I mean, he... You know, as God, he's just not give himself to those things. No, he was man. He was 100% God, never ceased to be 100% God, but he's living as 100% man. So, so why didn't he give himself to him? Because even though he was man and God, 100% of each, he didn't have a desire for him. So even though they were literal temptations, they was not a temptation to him. Because he didn't have the desire. That's what God's trying to do in all of us. Is God changing your desires, giving you a different heart. And by the way, a different heart comes with salvation. He gives you a new heart. Notice this, not only did they have a difference in heart, they had a desire for holiness. I mean, they did not want these idols and these idolatrous things to be a part of their lives any anymore. Why? Because they had come to the place of celebrating the Passover, knowing what the Passover meant, cleansing themselves, seeing God cleanse the priest, seeing God cleanse the temple, seeing God cleanse themselves, and they wanted to walk in obedience to God. They wanted to walk in the holiness of God because God had set Israel apart in the Old Testament to be a testimony to the rest of the world. that the holiness of God Why do you know that? Because God gave them the law. And the law was to tell people about the holiness of God. And they just wanted to be about the holiness of God. You say, well, preacher, if I'm... If I go that far with this stuff, it's going to be Jesus in the morning, Jesus at lunch, Jesus in the afternoon, Jesus at night. And I mean, what do you expect me to do? I, listen, I don't expect you to do anything. But can I ask you a question? Why would that be bad to have Jesus in the morning, Jesus at lunch, Jesus in the afternoon, and Jesus at night? What would be wrong with letting Jesus be the center of every single thing you and I ever do? And everything we do, we're conscious as God is this going to bring you glory. Tell you something. If you have consciousness, is this going to bring you glory? It'll stop 90% of what we do. I have people come to me and say, say to me, Preacher, is it okay if I do this? Here's what I say to them two things. I said, Well, if we were standing in the sanctuary, would you do it in the middle of the sanctuary? No! So, what does that tell you? Second question I say, is it going to bring glory to God? Well, I don't guess it will. You answered your own question. How many agree I'm not going into professional counseling? I think it's good counseling too, Mickey, but I'm just saying that's not what people want to hear. You see, there was a difference in their heart and there was a desire of holiness that came out of the difference in their heart. Look at the last thing here. Notice the demonstration of humility. You say, I don't see humility in this. Oh, it is. How long had they been in idolatry? Several years. You remember Ahaz reign for several years, and even before Ahaz they were in idolatry. And so they were worshipping these Assyrian gods that Ahaz had come into cahoots with the king of Syria, and they were worshipping these Assyrian gods. Now, think about it. So you have these these dads, you have these moms that travel to Jerusalem. They didn't leave their kids behind, they brought their kids with them. So they travel to Jerusalem, they go and take the Passover. As they go and take the Passover, they get changed, God changes their heart, God gives them a desire for holiness, and now all of a sudden, they're going back to their own cities, and they're removing all the idols from their own cities, maybe even from their own homes, and how many agree today that that had to be a humbling thing? You say, why is that? Because all their kids knew about their parents was idolatry. Can you imagine those conversations? Son, well, maybe it went this way. Dad, why are you taking all those things down? You used to bend a knee to them. Well, son, I was wrong. You know why a lot of people don't deal with their sin? Of course, you're going to have to walk up to somebody and lay their pride aside and say, I was wrong. Parents, can I tell you the best thing you can ever do for your kids? Grandparents, the best thing you can do for your Grandparents. How many agree we're not going to be sinless perfect until we get to glory? Do you agree with that? Say amen. I'll tell you the best thing you can do for your kids and grandkids. Instead of just saying, Lord, I'm sorry, which you need to do, say it in front of your kids. Son, I'm sorry that I didn't lead you in Bible study every night. Son, I'm sorry that I didn't make you be in church every time the doors were open. Son, I'm sorry that you didn't see faithfulness in me. And I put everything else above the things of God. I had a lady come to me in the first church I pastored. She was a deacon's wife. And here's what happened, all right? She was a teacher, a public school teacher. And uh, the principal had a staff meeting. And the principal said, now, this is not optional. Every teacher's got to do this. And you say, well, what was it? The teachers had to make the children read the new Harry Potter book and do a book report on it, And they had to teach through it. Well, this lady that was in our church, the Lord had just saved her about a year ago, a year earlier. And, and she, man, God just radically changed her heart. She was a deacon's wife. God saved her while she was a deacon's wife. And, I mean, God just radically changed her heart. And, and, and after the, the meeting, she walked up to the principal and she said, Ma'am, she said, I'm just telling you, I'm not doing this. And she looked at me and she said, I told her the right thing, right? And I said, you did. Y'all say Matt. So she made a stand. But here's what went wrong. The principal started arguing with her, and this lady got in the flesh. And, and literally just began to argue vocally, outwardly, got in the flesh and began to just fuss with this principal and began to argue with her in a very, very unchristian tone. And so she comes to me that Sunday after this happened. She said, what do I do? I said, well, here's the first thing you do. You go back to the principal and apologize. And she said, well, apologize about what? I'm not going to... I didn't say apologize about not doing the Harry Potter book. I said, apologize about how you responded to her. Well, she did me wrong. I said, listen. I said, did you respond? And this is what I said to her. Her her name was Linda. She's a precious lady. I said, Linda. I said... uh, When you responded to her, were you in the spirit or in the flesh? She said, flesh. I said, apologize. I said, don't apologize about not doing the book. Just apologize about how you responded. So she goes to school on Monday. She walks up to her principal that morning before school starts. And she says to her principal, whatever her principal's name was. She said, ma'am, I just want you to know. By the convictions I have of the Word of God, I cannot do this Harry Potter book. But the way I responded to you and the way that I argued with you and the way that I got in the flesh with you, I'm a Christian and I shouldn't have responded that way and I need you to forgive me. She told me, she said, it's one of the hardest things she's ever had to do. I said, well, what happened? She said she just looked at me and didn't say a word. I said, well, what'd you do? She said, well, eventually she wasn't going to talk. I just went to my class. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I said, well, you didn't come and tell me all this. Just tell me that she never responded. She said, oh, no. She said she responded. I said, well, how'd she respond? She said about halfway through the day, she came and got me out of class. I was teaching my class in the middle of my class. She got me out of class. And as she pulled me out of class, she pulled me out into the hall. And as she pulled me out in the hall, she said to me, she said, Why'd you do that this morning? I've never had anybody ask me to forgive them. And she looked at that lady and here's what she said. She said, I'm sorry as well. And I've talked to the superintendent and you don't have to do that book. Isn't God good? But did that take humility? See, here's the way we are. Well, I'm standing up for what's right. Can I tell you something, love? Get over it. Aren't you glad Jesus Christ didn't act that way? Because it wasn't right for him to die for our sins. It wasn't right for them to accuse him and him not defend himself. It wasn't right for them to nail him to the cross. It wasn't right for God to put all the sin of the world, you and my, upon himself. It wasn't right. Listen, from from a legal standpoint, from our humanity, from our flesh, none of that makes sense. But God knew that was the only way. And Jesus Christ was willing. And that same Jesus lives in you. Well... Let me finish. Last thing. The restoration of a testimony. The Bible says, Then all the children of Israel return every man to his possession and into his own cities. What does that mean? Well, they went back to their livelihood. They went back to what they were doing. But yes, guess what? They didn't go back to just what they were doing. They were different. They were changed. They was not the same. And what they were doing before is not what they're doing now. And, and listen, now all of a sudden their testimony has changed. Remember, not all the northern kingdom came to the, to the Passover. Some said, hey, we don't need that. We don't need that. But can you imagine as these, especially of the northern kingdom, went back to Manasseh, went back to their cities... And all of a sudden, those that didn't respond saw the change in these folks' lives. Can you imagine what went on? But more than that, can you imagine what what went on in their families? Can I tell you the most precious thing you have outside of the person of the Lord Jesus? Your testimony. How many of you agree with this statement? Perception is important. Do y'all agree with that statement? You say, why is that? Because whatever somebody perceives about you, they believe it to be truth, whether it's truth or not. Does it affect your testimony if they believe something to be true about you that's not true about you? Now, here's what we do. We say, well, as long as I know that I'm right with God, I don't care what people think about me. Well, I got news for you. If that's your attitude, you have no influence with other people. Because God saved us to use us. And we need to be very careful with our testimony. So why did they go and pull all these idols down? Not only did they not want them to be a temptation, they didn't even want to be identified with them anymore. They didn't even want the appearance that they were identified with. them. Why? They were changed. Now watch this with me, okay? And I'm, I'm done. This is my last thing and I'm done. Okay? Watch this with me. You say, well, preacher, I know in my heart that I'm not doing anything wrong. So that's enough. No, it's not enough. You say, why is it not enough? Because here's what the Bible says, avoid the very appearance of evil. So if it even appears to someone, I'm to avoid it. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Listen, I'm preaching to myself here. If y'all are getting anything out of this, glory. But I'm preaching to myself here. Because we all need to understand that our testimony is absolutely important to what everything we do. And listen, here's the glory of it all. When we walk in a way where our testimony is above reproach and above board... then here's what happens. We have great, great ability to be used of God in other people's lives. But sometimes, that makes me have to make some very complicated and difficult decisions. Some decisions that may go against things that I want to do or things that I think I need to do. Sometimes, It can cause you to have to make some very complicated decisions. But can I tell you? Your testimony is worth it all. The Lord Jesus. Everybody's accusing him. Of being a heretic. Lying about him being king. Being about building a crowd. Worthy of death, the same death as the two thieves on the cross. But when it came down to it, did they have anything in his life that they could go back to and say, that right there proves what we're saying? No. You say, how do you know that? Because the most heathen out of the whole group I mean, this is what the religious leaders were saying about him. Are are you listening? Say amen. But the most heathen of the whole group, Pilate. What did Pilate say? I find no fault in him. People will be influenced by more of what you do than they ever will be by what you say. I can say everything right. And if they have a a perception that I'm doing it wrong, they're not going to listen to the thing I say. So what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying to you, out of all the love I have in me, if there's any things in your life that's causing you to wrestle with temptation, or any things in your life that's pulling your heart away from the Lord, or anything in your life that's, that's causing you to, to give yourself to habits, or, or to give yourself to addictions, or to give yourself to any of those things in your life, I am pleading with you. But I understand that only the Spirit of God can give you the desire to do it, no matter what I say. But I'm here to tell you, why don't you go through the cities of your life, And cut it all out. To where they are not even temptations anymore. It will change your testimony. It will change your family. It will change you. And it will change everybody around you. I promise you. It will help you. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for this passage. Father, I pray today that, Father, that uh, we have come out of last Sunday with a heart that is different, a, a, a desire for holiness greater than we've ever had before. And, Father, that there's been the demonstration of humility in our life, having to deal with some things that we just really and truly in our humanity really don't want to deal with. But, Father, we know that we need to. And we're willing to humble ourselves. Take whatever steps we need to take to get those things right with you. Father, I love you. I love these people. I praise you for what you're doing in our midst. I praise you for what you did last week. Father, I pray that last week was just the beginning, just the beginning. Of bringing us to a deeper intimacy with you. And Father when we have a desire for you. We'll run to you.